It's the weekly variety hour, ish, with your host, McLateral. Hope I don't have something stuck on. Oh, we're live. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is I, your host, McLateral, at McLateral FF. As we're kind of out of the silly season, I felt it was time to retire the Not Adam Schefter uh, moniker until we hit free agency again next year. If we hit free agency again next year, you know, as long as the world doesn't collapse because boats are blocking the Suez Canal, uh, hopefully COVID will be under control by then. I actually am I'm feeling pretty hopeful on the COVID front. I managed to get my vaccine. I know a lot of people have gotten their vaccine, so positive development on the medical front negative development on the medical front that took up most of my week just mentally even though it only happened like two days ago at a dentist appointment i sit down for the dentist appointment i'm serious you guys will not believe this i sit down i get in the chair the dentist goes to me she goes i have no idea why you're getting a filling today i'm like you don't because i was really hoping of all the people who would that you did and she was like, yeah, no, your dentist is on vacation. So I'm just going to poke around in the I'm like, no, you're not. And long story short, I get up out of the chair. I walk out the door. I'm never going to that dentist again. It was awful, uh, but not quite as awful as um, George Kittle's horrible, terrible practical joke that he played on us Niners fans this morning when he suggested that he was going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a move that would have crushed my soul, though would have been nice for fellow lateral contributor, Jesse. Uh, I'm sure he would have loved that. Um, but man, it, it like it had my heart skipping a beat for a second. Luckily it was quickly put to bed. Cause of course it is April fools. And as you may have noticed, you got zero April Fool's content from the lateral. It's something I strongly believe in. It's a stupid holiday. I can't stand it. Like, if you're going to do an April Fool's thing, like, I feel like the one thing I would do is, like, if I had a business and I was going to do an April Fool's thing, I would genuinely do something that, like, you don't normally do. Like, let's say you're a brewery, so you make beer all year round. Well, for April Fool's Day, all of a sudden... All you do is sell pony rides for the entire day. That's to me is an April Fool's joke. It's practical. It's got some applications to it. And it's not just a stupid tweet. Um, let's see. What else gave me a heart attack this week as a San Francisco fan? Oh, we traded all of our draft picks. All of them to get um, maybe Mac Jones. It's going to be Justin Fields. I'm pretty confident it's going to be Justin Fields. I don't think it'll be Mac Jones. I think they went to the pro day, but I've heard they're going to schedule a workout with Fields anyway. I think they're going to put up as much smoke and mirrors as they can because they know Carolina will trade for that number four pick with Atlanta if they can. Um, you know, Chicago is probably going to be looking to trade up. Like there's genuinely going to be still movement to come in the quarterback madness that will be this draft. And so I think, I think San Francisco is putting out a lot of mixed signals on purpose uh, just so that nobody quite knows what they're doing. 
because I think part of the reason San Francisco traded up to three is everyone seems to know what the Jets are doing. And that seems to be drafting Zach Wilson, which makes no sense to me. I think Fields is more proven. I think he's a more surefire talent. Uh, I get the upside with Wilson, but look, if I'm taking the number two pick, if I'm putting like the next three years of my franchise, my coaching career, potentially at least in the near term on the line, like, I don't know that Wilson's the guy I want to hitch my wagon to on that front. Um, and then real quick on a little bit of housekeeping, if you haven't noticed yet, we're on YouTube. We're going to be on YouTube regularly going forward. That's how we got around the whole Periscope thing. And we're also going to be on Spotify. So for those of you listening, hello. Again, I waved my hands there, which will be great for you in the audio format, I'm sure. But love to have all the new people listen to us watching us from wherever they can and i love that they're going to meet our next guest our first guest of the night dave at dave fantasy dude how's it going my guy you're kind of muted so i can't tell but we'll get there i got it yeah yeah <laughs> it's hard to talk when you're muted it's going well man how are you I, I, I other than the things i just spent the past 10 minutes complaining about i can't complain <laughs> Um, so you, uh, you, of course, you're a senior writer at the contender connection. Of course I say, of course, yeah, I feel still feel the need to say it because maybe there are some people that don't know. So you're a senior writer at the contender connection. You're a contributor at pro football mania for those looking for that, by the way, it's at pro football man one on Twitter. Uh, and I believe we've actually had some of your colleagues on the show before. Uh, I want to say CJ, I believe who's been uh on here before i think he writes for pro football mania as well okay, um sure. if i'm not mistaken seems like it's a pretty pretty legit operation over there definitely no small achievement to have gotten that far um so actually how'd you get started in fantasy football in general well uh in college actually was was my start i had always kind of wanted to play fantasy football because i've always been nerdy about sports uh since i was a kid worst but, things to be <laughs> but then i got in college the bunch of friends that i had met invited me to join their league and my first my first draft i just walk in you know ready to draft everybody else has notebooks and magazines and all this stuff i didn't really know such stuff existed or else i would have gone and got a magazine i just didn't know that was an option so I just walk in with what I know about football. And Who was your first draft pick ever? Do you remember? I can't remember if I took this guy in the first round, but I mean, the reason that I, I had a good team my first year was Terrell Davis. Ooh. I just looked it up before uh, the show, actually, to see. <laughs> what year was that he, then? 1997. Okay, good year to have Terrell Davis. Yeah. He was the second leading fantasy scorer overall that year. I just looked it up before the show to find so out. So either you took him in the first round, which is a great pick, or you took him later somehow, which is an even better pick. I kind of think I did take him later somehow. Wow. But I don't remember he, for sure. But you know, I'm way, not quite he sure he'd out. broken out quite the year before. I'd have to, maybe the lateral bot will get some stats on that later. But, you know, I think 97 would have been like the year where he like takes off into that borderline. Well, actually, at this point now, Hall of Fame career do you get the gold I, jacket i don't know if he is in the hall of fame 
I couldn't remember if he got I'm it. I'm trying like, to remember him wearing the jacket. Uh, I th- well, I think he's like in this next class. I th- I think he's oh. like just gotten in. Uh, the name was Terrell Davis, by the way, lateral bot. Just blowing the mystery of the private chat wide open there. Um, okay, so Terrell Davis back in 97. So I'm guessing no PPR at that point. No, it wasn't uh, something I knew about, at least at that point. So, <laughs> and, I don't know uh, if people were doing it or not. Clearly a redraft league as well, I'm assuming. Not quite the era of the Dynasty League. Right, absolutely. Most of my fantasy experience has been playing redraft. Okay, okay. Uh, Any particularly fond memories? Any like, I mean, obviously the Terrell Davis thing, that's a big win. But like any others that stick out, you know, riding someone to a championship, getting a beautiful sleeper pick one year? I remember... Well, I actually, I've had a couple of beautiful sleeper picks, but I remember my first championship and the game itself. uh, It came down to Monday Night Football. This was the year that Brett Favre was the quarterback in Minnesota. Okay. And I had Sidney Rice, the wide receiver for the Vikings on my team. And he catches a touchdown with like a minute left in the game of Monday night football, the last chance to score fantasy points in this whole championship. And it was just enough to put me over the top. So no, like, that, that is, that is a great feeling. I think I actually, just remember that moment. I jumped out of the cat off the couch. <laughs> I, was, I was so excited. No, I think I literally had the exact same thing last year. I think it was also a Monday night game though. It might've been a Sunday night game. Um, the Packers game in week 16, uh, not this past season, but the season before actually. So the 2019 season, not the 2020 season, Aaron Jones just breaks off that last touchdown. It was like all I needed. I'm like watching on my phone in bed. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, so how'd you get started in fantasy content then? You know, you seem to have been doing that for a while now too. Clearly a veteran. Well, I got serious about it last summer. Okay. And uh, I kind of decided that, you know, this is what I want to do. So I'm either going to succeed at it or I'm going to fail trying to do what I want to do. You know, that was the the angle I took at it. You know, at least if I'm going to fail at something, I want to fail at what I wanted to do in the first place. You know, it's just, it's better than failing at something that was somebody else's idea. Sure. So where'd you get your start um, back in the beginnings? Uh, first, I wrote with the pregame HQ. Okay. Uh, Elvin Ryan gave me my first opportunity to write. He was looking for guys. I just contacted him. And next thing I know, he's introducing me to the group chat saying, Dave's going to write some articles for us. So I was like, I guess I'm on. <laughs> uh, Worst ways to get the gig. Yeah, it was great. You know, and I really had uh, a good time writing there and then just the experience on Twitter, you know, fantasy football, Twitter, meeting so many people that are doing so many cool and exciting things uh, just kept leading to one opportunity after another, really. So I'm, I'm fascinated, a positive experience on fantasy Twitter. We're just, so this must've been like <laughs> eons ago, correct? Couldn't have yeah, been recently. No, uh, not as long ago as you think. Uh, it, the in-season fantasy Twitter was a lot more uh, conducive to positivity than the off-season. The off-season seems a little catty somehow. 
But. Yeah, this is my first offseason um, on the Twitter, both in general and for fantasy. Um, and I, I do have to say, it seems like at times we get a little lost in trying to be the person with the hottest take out there. Right. Um, and it just it, it gets a, we get a little carried away. I'm I, you know, I'm actually I'm hopeful a lot of people seem to recognize this trend. And like, it seems like there's a lot of good people on fantasy Twitter. So. I'm personally hopeful that we'll kind of rein it in and maybe next off season won't be quite as chaotic. Um, <laughs> that's okay. like wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, you never know. So you got to start with the pregame HQ. So as you first started out, like what are the lessons you think you learned doing that? Like some tips you picked up, some things you realized, maybe not even right away, but as you started doing more and more work, like, I don't know, potential advice you'd have for new content creators i'm curious the first thing that i would say is most important is just believe in your take you know if you've arrived at a conclusion assuming you have some sort of process that you know that brought you there uh then your conclusion is valid if you can you know if you can defend it it's it's a good point so I think you should just believe in your take and, and and roll with it, you know, defend your your point of view because you're the only one that has that point of view. You know, it's what makes you uniquely you. Um, not to say that we don't all get a lot of community think in the fantasy football uh, universe, but that's, you know, I, I don't think anybody else can make your point the way that you want to make your point when it comes to a specific player or situation or anything. So believe in it because there's a reason, you know, at least for me, that's the way I look at it. There's a reason that I got into creating fantasy football content. It's because I love fantasy football and I think I'm good at it, you know? So if I'm going to go out there and, and write, I want to believe that what I'm writing is, is truth, you know, and treat it as such, defend my own position. So. I'm, ju I'm just curious, are there any times you can think of in the past, whether more recent or further back where you had a take that like everyone was kind of like, you're crazy and you're like, I am dying on this hill and it turned out to be correct and you're glad you stuck with your guns. It's okay if you don't have anything that comes to mind. I'm just genuinely curious. Um, I don't have a lot that are, you know, like way off the wall, but, uh, you know, I've been a big Deontay Johnson guy ahead of last season and a lot of people were saying you know this is a bunch of smoke and mirrors you know his rookie season didn't prove anything and you know I ended up getting him at value in my drafts this year and I was quite pleased with it you know he had a great year based on his ADP uh, that was a good one last year in my redraft leagues uh, I was beating the drum for Lamar Jackson ahead of the draft saying he was going to be a top five quarterback. And a lot of people said I was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'd and, say that's two really solid takes to have. I mean, we've seen how good Deontay's been and obviously Lamar um, not this past season, which was a crazy season for him, but the year before was right. insanely good. Um, yeah. That's the one that's, yeah, I was saying, yeah, top five quarterback, and he ended up as QB one. So yeah, couldn't have I been mean, more right. <laughs> uh, so speaking of the Steelers, actually, we'll come we'll come back a little to the fantasy, but you um you do some Steelers beat writing. Yeah, uh, at Pro Football Mania, 
I've been kind of writing a lot of NFL pieces, you know, on the Steelers, particularly it's something that Jake wanted me to do. And I thought, yeah, I'd love to, you know, I always kind of envisioned myself being a sports writer, you know, more so than fantasy when I was growing up, obviously, as I've gotten more into fantasy, things have changed a little bit, but yeah, when I was a kid, I kind of thought, you know, it would be cool to be like a sports writer and write about the Steelers in particular. And now I'm kind of getting that chance to live out that fantasy, which is fun. No, I actually, <laughs> I totally get that. I grew up in the DC area. So for me, it was like, I grew up wanting to be Mike Wilbon or Tony Kornheiser. You read them yeah. in the post every week and it's just like oh these are these are like the cream of the crop and they're in your local paper like right. it's not just it's not just like i had to like you know go and like hunt down the subscription it's like i literally got this hand delivered to my house every day it was like the best sports writers in the world um and then you know go figure journalism in general is a little bit of a uh, struggle to make it, but uh, <laughs> here, here I am nonetheless trying to give sports writing a shot. Uh, so Steelers 2021, let's get into a little preview action. I uh, read your article. It focused a little more on the football side, a little less on the fantasy side. So we're going to focus a little more on the fantasy side, a little less on the football side. But what are your general expectations for 2021? Do you think the team will be good? Do you think they're going to the playoffs? You think Ben Roethlisberger's arm's going to fall off mid-throw one of these times? What's your thoughts? <laughs> well, I think that the team might be a playoff team, but I don't think that they're going to be much of a champion contender. It, it the seems unrealistic this year, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I mean, I'd love to be wrong. That's the that's what they always say about a pessimist. You know, the thing a pessimist wants most is to be proven wrong. So. That's that's definitely the case. Well, I mean, you got your new RB1. You guys signed uh, Kalen Balazs to oh, a yeah. year undisclosed yeah. contract. Running back concerns are over. So that was, hey. a, that was a big relief. It's one less thing. You know? We joke. I definitely spent $120 in my off-season fab budget on Kalen Balazs, So Outstanding. Well, I got Zach Moss for free. So I look at it as spending 60 on each, which like isn't the worst. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. But um, do you think Balaj is the RB1? Or are you expecting someone else to come in? Uh, what do you expect the RB core to look like once week one kicks off? I imagine there's going to be a rookie involved, but I definitely expect the committee sort of approach. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a good chance Balaj gets a good share of the work, but I also think Benny Snell will be carrying the ball. And then, like I say, I think a, a rookie is probably coming in. There have been a couple of names floating around, uh, but, you know, this is rumor season, so you never really know. But I'm hearing about Jamar Jefferson today, especially from Oregon State as a possibility, which, you know, based on what round I think he can be had in, you know, he could be a, a third, maybe a fourth rounder, potentially even a fifth, but that okay. to me you know to me yeah. that seems like the kind of range that they're going to go for a running back i know a lot of people are trying to say you know Najee in the first round okay. so you're not and, expecting them to spend a ton of draft capital at the position 
You no, think... I definitely don't think they're going to spend a ton of draft okay. capital at the position. So you think we've largely got the pieces in place, but ARB should be added through the draft and one that we expect to contribute on some level, whether ultimately right. is the starter or not remains to be seen, but they're not going to get a guy like they did with McFarland last year and essentially have him on the bench the entire time. Right. No, they're going to get, they're going to draft a running back. My expectation is that they're going to draft a running back who will get some, some work. Gotcha. Uh, not necessarily even a guy who's going to come in and be the, the number one option in the committee, but a guy that will get some work. You know? well, my hopes for my Bilal share, my Balage share is alive and well. Uh, are my hopes for <laughs> Ebron alive and well? Do we think he's got a shot at tight end one? Um, seemed like he maybe had a little case of the drops, but the market share wasn't that bad. I think he was like in the 14% range. Right. What do you think Ebron's fantasy outlook for 2021 is? I never really had Ebron as a tight end one, uh, you know, in my expectations. He's a, it's easy to say this about every tight end, but I was going to say he's a touchdown dependent tight end, you know, uh, at his best season, I think he had 13 touchdowns when he was in Indianapolis. Yeah. I mean, he had that uh, one absurd season. Yeah. Yeah, he just kept getting all these red zone touchdowns. And the Steelers could certainly use a guy like that. You know, I mean, that was what I was optimistic about when they brought in Ebron in the first place was a big, tall red zone target, you know, because we hadn't had a guy like that since Plexico Burris, really. So it just seemed like it was filling a void. But you do have a couple good receivers. So... What are your expectations for them? Again, you're clearly a big Deontay Johnson fan. Where are you ranking the Pittsburgh wide receivers going into 2021? At who do you think you got one, two, and three in order? I'm curious. I think that it would. I would rank them as Deontay, Juju, Claypool. It is my order of who I think is going to score the most fantasy points this year. Um, I don't think that either one of them will or that any of the three of them will wind up as a wide receiver one, though. I think you're looking at wide receiver two ceilings for all of them. No, uh, I mean, that that would make sense. I actually, uh, we were looking into it over the lateral for free agent losers. And um, I forget, oh, it was the Jaguars we were writing about. And it's really tough to support three fantasy relevant wide receivers. It's actually like almost impossible. Only like a couple teams manage to do it every year. And when I'm saying fantasy relevant, I mean like wide receiver one through wide receiver four. We're not even just talking wide receiver ones and wide receivers two. Like the Steelers were one of the teams that did it this past year. They were all wide receiver twos. Right. I think that, I think that a similar expectation is realistic. You know, I don't think that they're going to throw the ball quite as much. I mean, I don't want them to throw the ball quite as much as they did this past year, because that's going to indicate that the run game has improved, you know, to some level. We we can't be the worst running team in the NFL. I think they finished 31st, so I don't think they were wasn't the worst, but it was bad. It was bad. We can't, you know, the Steelers cannot be a team that operates like that they have to be able to run the ball at least 
moderately successful. It's not the old Steelers where they just run the ball down your throat and beat you with defense. There's a lot more nuance to this offense now, obviously, but there still has to be an effective running game or what happened this past year is going to happen again. You know, everybody figured out this is the only thing they can do is throw the ball with these quick short routes and things like that. They're trying to get the ball out of Ben Roethlisberger's hands quickly. And that's when they stopped being effective. When everybody kind of figured out that's their one dimensional, this is the only thing they're, they're doing. There has to be more to it. So of the wide receivers then, so you're going with the same order as last year, I believe, which was Deontay, Juju, and then Claypool. Um, who do you think is going to be the biggest value though? Who do you think is going to ex- most likely to exceed expectations? At this point, I think Juju, because I really feel like people are down on him. I feel like Juju's value is, you know, plummeting. So I think that you're going to be able to get him at a decent value in the draft and that he'll, you know, he'll return on that uh, effectively. Do you think Claypool will be drafted higher than Juju? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of do. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing smart. the same thing. I, I don't think. think it's smart, but I, 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 I think that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I think that would, I think setting the talent portion aside, I think it would be similar to the people who might draft Gallup ahead of CD lamb. Now, luckily like <laughs> Gallup is such a lesser talent compared to CD lamb that you don't run into that issue. Whereas right. Juju and Claypool are viewed more similarly on a talent level, but it is basically the same kind of concept. Like Juju is going to run in the slot. CD is going to run in the slot. Gallup's going to be your second outside option. Claypool's going to be your second outside option. Like it's a lot more high risk, high reward situation. Right. But I think if you ask, you know, like let's say you asked a hundred people who they think is going to be the Steelers wide receiver that has the most fantasy points. I think you're going to see all three of those guys pretty well represented in the, in the responses that you get, you know? So, well, another guy who there's high expectations for this year is definitely cam Akers, who you recently wrote about. I read that article. Very good article. What are your 2021 expectations? I know you touched on it in the article, but just for the listeners, for the viewers. And did your thoughts change now that Malcolm Brown is officially gone? Um, no, my thoughts didn't really change too much because of Malcolm Brown, because that was my expectation was that he was going to be gone. Uh, you know, he was, he was an unrestricted free agent. So I kind of expected they would move on from him. I think that, you know, my, my expectation is that Cam Akers is going to be given the opportunity to be a true workhorse back in that offense, you know, and not be splitting time with Henderson, but be taking the the majority of carries and being spelled by Henderson from time to time. So I I'm bullish. I'm bullish on acres big time. In uh, a, in a dynasty league, where are you ranking him as far as the RBs go in a dynasty league? I think I have him at RB nine right now. Oh, so uh, he's definitely an RB one in your mind. Yes. Yeah, totally. And I, would you I, have the same expectations then as far as redraft? slightly less but not significantly okay uh, that makes sense yeah i mean I, th- I think he'll have a great season this year but i think you know the best is 
to come. Still to come. You know, so actually, the, uh, along those future. lines, you've just started playing. Well, how long have you been playing Dynasty? You said you're a redraft veteran, kind of getting your feet wet in the Dynasty game. So how long have you been playing Dynasty Fantasy? This was my first season. Okay. In, in Dynasty How'd it go? Leagues. Um, pretty good. Uh, for the most part, I didn't have very many leagues this year. I'm going to be doing a lot more Dynasty League. Well, I'm already, I've already done a few startups and things like that. But uh, my main league, the one that I was kind of most serious about or trying to do, you know, my absolute best in, where I didn't take over an orphan or anything like that, um, I just missed the playoffs. And you got time. No, I'm, I'm wrong. I lost in the first round of the playoffs. Oh, there you go. It's better uh, than uh, but... better than how I did. Got that got that number two overall pick and very proud of it. Um, I drafted <laughs> nobody over the age of 27. And nice. uh, it's like that was my strategy. So did you have any strategy with roster construction, like skewing young, looking only at a three year window, things like that? Well, you know, I kind of took a, a lot of advice from people who who had uh, experience playing Dynasty because I didn't know what I was, you know, how to approach the draft, like what the differences would be from a redraft perspective to a Dynasty perspective when it comes to doing the startup draft and things. So I wasn't afraid. These were the key things in my mind. I wasn't afraid of age. Like I wasn't going to just completely devalue guys that might help me right now because they're old. I wanted to keep my mind open to, to that sort of thing. But at the same time, I did want to have some youth representation on the team. You know, I didn't want to have a whole band of over the hill guys. So that, that was kind of one of the, the key tips that I got was like, don't be afraid of Julio Jones and guys like that, you know, uh, I don't really like Julio, so that wasn't a perfect example for me. But, but no, the point was well taken. You know, I think that, like, I think it is a good one. Like I have definitely seen, like especially when you compare redraft to dynasty, like the difference in ADP for someone like Julio is absurd. Right. And like, don't get me wrong, there's going to be a point when it turns out to be right. But it really was crazy. Like as a dynasty novice like being like all right julio's going in like you know around two or maybe round three if that in a redraft and like julio could be going around six in dynasty like it'd be yeah. absolutely insane um so redraft is your bread and butter it's where you cut your teeth what are the strategies that you are the the tips the strategies that you've learned over your years of playing redraft that you would impart onto a first-time player well, I mean, the corny one is like you have to zig when other people are zagging in the draft. You know, let the draft be be fluid with your draft plans. Basically, let the draft happen, and when everybody's like grabbing running backs that you don't even that you know that the cliff they've fallen off the cliff at this point. You know, running backs that you don't value high, but everybody's like, oh well, like all these guys are drafting running backs, so I got to get my running back now too it's the perfect time to come in with a wide receiver because those guys, the value is being pushed down. So I know that's kind of generic, but that's, that's an important thing to remember. Um, another thing is I don't ever worry about being first on quarterback or tight end. Okay. You know, if you're, 
if you're going to be, if you want to get the top quarterback or the top tight end, you're obviously going to have to put a lot of draft capital into it. But once you get down to the eight to 12 range or whatever, like if you're looking at the finishes at the end of the year, you know, where all these positions finish quarterback, eight quarterback, 12, it's basically the same uh, total points. You know, as long as you're getting a guy that you feel pretty confident is going to wind up in the top 12, you're good. You know, I always, I always kind of push that down. You know, I always kind of weight on quarterback, I guess is the best way to describe it. But no, I mean, that's, I think, pretty stage advice. I think there's a lot of people who are experts who are seasoned veterans that draft in that way. So you're not doing anything like zero RBs, your wide receiver, anything like that. You're like, just going like, I've got an idea of where I rank these guys and I'm going to see where the board falls. Yeah. That's kind of the approach that I take. I'm definitely not a zero running back guy. In fact, if anything, I'm more of a robust running back guy, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I want to, I want to hit heavy on running back and wide receiver in the early rounds of the draft. So that's, that's just my approach, my general approach. Um, it's, a, it's a good one. It's one that seems to work. It's I think there's a lot of data to support that approach. Um, speaking of data, I think our next guest is about to come on. He works a lot with data. I've seen some of his wide receiver deep dives. Again, Dave, I'd love it if you stuck around for this guy. And yeah. maybe we can get into some group stuff, little little team building activities later on. But <laughs> Is Jordan, Jordan Vanek, uh, our resident DFS expert, who is neither one of our residents, um, but he is an expert. He is a DFS expert. That's why we brought him on here. So Jordan, it's great to have you here. How I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Dave. How'd you get started in fantasy football? Um, my, uh, my brothers and I pretty much, that was the way we, uh, bonded in a, in a way um we, we would always you know talk football play football just be around football and, and in south florida especially like i mentioned it before when, when i was in high school our, our receiving core was calvin ridley jerry judy and riley ridley um and we never made it out of the first round of the playoffs because we kept playing devin bush which is just like a kind of a, a crazy thing now looking back like i was watching you know the wide receivers three or four or five last year just you know playing every single day i grew up with them and stuff and football i wasn't you know i didn't grow into the athlete that most of these kids down here were so i decided like what way could i make it fun for me and fantasy football was my route and I'm big with numbers. I was always a pretty good math guy. So that's pretty much what got me in that industry. <laughs> okay. So how did you start making fantasy content then? Uh, so I got pretty uh, annoyed with my friends who would, I get like 20 to 30 calls on Sunday and it starts at questions. And I'm like, all right, I, I need to, I need to put this into like the way I like, I need to do something. And I would build this massive spreadsheet for everybody that like was close to me and put a ton of projections and like I would give it give this research to my friends and they would still ask me questions about who to play in DFS, who to start in this. And it's like, 
All right, now I'm going to get into a writing. You can see it. You can go for it. That's pretty much what pushed me into doing the content-driven side. <laughs> gotcha. Actually, Dave, I'm curious, as long as we still got you here, you a big spreadsheet guy as well, or are you someone that's got the pages on pages, the tabs on tabs of info that you use for your research? Yeah, I'm actually not so much of a spreadsheet guy before, but I'm learning to love them. So I'm I'm being converted, I think. Okay, so we got a bit of a consensus here. Doing research, getting data, turning it into information, possibly a good idea. Glad we had this talk. Um, but actually, speaking of those spreadsheets, I did look into your wide receiver deep dive that you sent over to me. The thing is glorious. There is so much data there. At, like, I am actually sort of amazed that you're able to make sense of it all. But one of the things that you said that stood out is the importance of Z-score. So for those of us who don't know or haven't taken statistics since like their <laughs> sophomore year of college, what is Z-score? Why is it so important? So Z-score is, uh, the best way to describe it is, um, imagine the average height in the United States was 60. And say you had a standard deviation of three inches. They're the groupings. That's kind of how the data varies. Mm -hmm. Shaquille O'Neal, seven footer, his Z score would be four because four times three is 12. <laughs> 12 is you know, one foot and you're one feet above the average. Well, me, um, five foot 10, I would be a negative Z score. So because I'm a below average. So what Z score incorporates and like, this is a fun one to use is uh, the tight end group this past year. Kelsey dominated and everybody knew kelsey dominated but like how much and funny thing is is he pulled up the z-score data so much compared to the top 12 tight ends him and waller that or tj hawkinson who finishes tight end four or five i believe he was technically a below average tight end one if you incorporate in z-score and it's wow. like that's how dominant he was at the position. And it just, it signifies how, I mean, the dominance and um, I use it when I'm weighing out, like, am I going to pick the RB, say my RB seven, or am I going to pick the wide receiver one and the wide receiver one genuinely outscores the running back seven or eight. And that's kind of how I formulate things like this past year. A lot of people were taking me Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake's. And I was like, I'm going to take Devontae Adams. <laughs> I'm going to take Tyree Kill. I'm going to take Julio Jones even because I'm looking at it and I'm like, these guys have so much of a bust potential in my eyes that I'm like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. <laughs> yeah, at a, at a certain point, you've gone into another tier and the point totals, it's like, yes, if you can get that top tier RB1, there is a mm. drop-off between RB1 to the RB2 tier. It does matter. But you also got to account for the other positions. So, like, yeah, don't get an RB2 just because you're panicked that you didn't get an RB1. Get an RB2 because it's the best available move for you on the board. I'm actually I'm doing this perfect draft case study right now. I think we're going to drop the first part of it, which is kind of the abstract um, where I go through my hypothesis. I'm doing full scientific method for this, at least as best I can. But I've done my first couple of rounds and like my first round pick is Devontae Adams because he was just, he was that good. 
I'm going from the six spot when I do this to make it like kind of even. And the goal is like, I'm using logic. So I'm only taking people within a certain ADP. So like no pulling out like James Robinson and like round 10, because I know nobody took him there. It's like, that's not realistic. But like you do things like you get Devontae Adams towards the tail end of round one, mm-hmm. you get like Jonathan Taylor in round four, you get Stefan Diggs in like round five, round six. Like there are these guys that are serious values there. Um yeah. It's yeah, like mean, insane. It's crazy. And it's funny that you mentioned Jonathan Taylor in round four. So my redrafts, when I actually do get into that study, that the first four rounds are the most important. I don't want to miss my first four picks. If okay. I miss my first four picks, I'm not, I'm not happy. So last year I had the choice. We usually get to pick where we draft. And I want I picked two because I got lucky, luck of the draw. And actually, I wanted to pick Alvin Kamara at two, which is obviously not where people had everybody had Saquon. But if I didn't get in the top half, I wanted to pick 11. And my strategy was Devontae Adams. I think it was Devontae Adams, Nick Chubb, Calvin, and Jonathan Taylor. That was Those were the first four picks every time I mapped it out. And it would have obviously been great for where they ended up finishing. And my one of my friends who chose 11 used that strategy and won the championship. I <laughs> pick two in the day of our draft. Kamara gets an epidermal shot, threatens to be traded, threatens to hold out, and I draft Saquon Barkley too, and oh. I'm in shambles. <laughs> I mean, could it hurt? <laughs> it could have been worse. You could have also drafted Miles Sanders as your RB two, yeah. and drafted David Johnson as your RB three, and Leonard Fournette as your RB four. And this didn't happen to me <laughs> at all once past season. That's, Even though I had Travis Kelsey on my team. Didn't matter Tyler at that point. Murray and it didn't fucking matter. I digress. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so Z-score is all about how many standard deviations away from the mean are we. And the more yeah. standard deviations away the more significant that becomes. Yep. So what trends did you notice then in this wide receiver deep dive when it came to the Z score? Are there certain players that are standing out? Like, I think to me, honestly, it wasn't Z score, but like, it seems like we're in a new wave of wide receiver talent. The median ages at the wide receiver tiers, they're going down. Yeah. I mean, the the talent is kind of, it, it's going, the older generation isn't staying as dominant as long as they used to. Like, you still have your Julio, but, like, A.J. Green fell off a cliff. Like, there was never – A.J. Green, obviously, injury-riddled, but he fell off the mountain really fast. Larry or Fitzgerald stayed on the mountain. He's, you know, still getting 100 targets. But the Odells, like, what Antonio Brown kind of showed the league allowed a new generation of athletes to come in and all have this route-running ability that we just weren't seeing from normal kids coming out of college, where the Jerry Judy, where – I mean, when I was in high school, I got to watch him train that way. And this, I mean, you look at the 37% of wide receiver ones, or 38% of wide receiver ones come from between the ages of 24 to 26. And that's a huge gap. Well, the only select few wide receiver ones actually are 23 or under. And it's people always want to be drafting rookies in redraft because they come out of those dynasty leagues where like, you know, the Jerry Judy's, the Henry Ruggs are so high and wanted, but for redraft purposes, 
if they're under 23, 24, it's going to be really, really hard to be relevant in today's NFL. <laughs> they got a lot to learn. Well, and I feel like it's really rare that those guys are immediately the wide receiver one on their depth chart. Yep. Like if you look at Henry Ruggs, he actually wasn't the wide receiver one on that depth chart, even mm-hmm. though he was like the number, what, 14 pick in the draft? Yeah. They picked like him he really was, early. He was buried behind uh, Tyrell Williams initially. Mm-hmm. Like, that should be a bit of a red flag, I think, to people. Like, we were ready to put Brian Edwards ahead of him. No, we were wrong about that, too, um, <laughs> it turns out. But, like, you know, ultimately, the wide receiver one on that team was Nelson Aguilar. It wasn't Henry Ruggs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them is Henry Ruggs was never going to be the most targeted wide receiver on that team. Full stop. Um, Jerry Judy is an interesting one because if you go back and look at how many targets he got, it's absolutely insane. He's like the most targeted wide receiver, I think, on the entire team. I think it's not particularly close. He gets like over 100 targets. This catch rate's like 50%. Yeah. It was, I mean, it, they, they uh, had the Joe Flacco. Didn't he get a few starts this year because uh, Drew Locke had, uh, I believe, the COVID effect? Or he either had COVID or got hurt his shoulder. So you had Locke. You had Brett Rippon. That's who the other guy was. Because <laughs> I think Joe Flacco was actually on the Jets. Yeah, sorry. They um, played each other. That's what it was. they played each other. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. But Flacco had been on the Broncos, I think, the year before. Yes, yes. Um, but like, And then you had, uh, oh my God, who was the Kendall? Kendall Hinton. Hinton. Yeah, the wide receiver from Wake Forest, who it turned out wasn't actually the quarterback. Your quarterback for that game was Philip Lindsay. He was technically the quarterback in the starting lineup, which I think is bullshit because then we could have played Philip Lindsay at the QB spot. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. That game was atrocious. Like yeah. pretty much for everyone involved, actually. Like the Saints didn't do all that much either from a fantasy standpoint because they didn't have to do much. They were playing against a wide receiver, quarterback. <laughs> yeah, and that's like, that's the thing is with Jerry Judy's like averages and stuff, you're not going to think off the top of your head, get rid of one of those games because you shouldn't put that in the averages. No. Like the big thing with fantasy football that I will go back and do myself is I'll see how many games they actually played over 50% of the snaps or whatever their average snap rate is and try to get rid of the games that they didn't because their averages change drastically if you're including games like that. So you like to knock out an outlier just to kind yeah. of. Okay. I want, I... I want to see when they're playing. I'm not trying to pick these guys to play 10% of the snaps like Debo okay. Samuel. His averages last year were awful, but like that's because he played multiple games where he didn't get 20% of the snaps. Yeah. He's also the wide receiver too on that team. So it doesn't help. That's true. Brandon Ayuk, by the way, this season, I'd, I'd definitely go get him. Like the worst case scenario for him at quarterback, and if you can even call it a worst case scenario, is like going to be either like Kyle Trask, Justin Fields, or Jimmy Garoppolo. There's no more Bethard. There's no more Mullins. He will have a competent quarterback throwing to him at all times. Like, yeah, I'm stoked for some Brandon Ayuk this year, and not just as a Niners fan. I think the kid's a phenomenal talent. Um, actually, while I have you guys here, Jerry Judy, do what do we think he'll be for redraft purposes uh, in 2021? 
Dave, I'm actually going to start with you here. Do you think Jerry Judy will be a wide receiver two, and do you think he'll finish ahead of Cortland Sutton? Is Gardner Minshew going to be his quarterback? You can make whoever you <laughs> reasonably think oh. <laughs> as his quarterback. If you think it would be Minshew, make it Minshew. If you think it'll be Locke, make it Locke. If you think it'll be Joe Montana, I'll have to stop you right there. But like, that's what I'm working with. If you think there's someone reasonable who could be his quarterback and you want to project based on that, I'm comfortable with that. Well, Gardner Minshew to Denver is one of my like uh, good fit, you know, hopeful picks. I just think, you know, I feel like that'd be a great place for him to wind up. I'm not sold on Drew Locke. I do think he holds Jerry Judy back. So if someone else was the quarterback, I would be more excited about uh, Jerry Judy. But, okay. So you're you're holding back until the quarterback situation is more resolved. A little bit, yeah, for sure. Jordan, what about you? So I, I got a feeling that Mac Jones will end up there at the – I think they picked nine after Carolina – um and with mac jones going to the broncos it adds some stability in terms of like accuracy and hitting the intermediate routes and jerry judy actually got to play with mac jones for those few games after to his hip injury and jerry was really productive with him <laughs> um I, I don't think jerry judy is a better wide receiver than Cortland sutton for fantasy purposes next year i think they're more like t higgins and tyler boyd and okay. the way that you're going to kind of gauge, I think they're going to be very close. I think it's, it's again, it, there's a lot of duos forming in the wide receiver community where it's sure. like, you know, Iuke, Debo, Jerry, Judy, Sutton, and all these other receivers. But uh, wide receiver two for Jerry is possible. I don't think he surpasses wide receiver like 22. Okay. Um, that's pretty much probably the range, his ceiling. I think he's going to be a fun flex pit play or wide receiver three in three wide receiver leagues. Okay. Okay. I, I can dig it. I, I think that's a reasonable take to make. Um, all right. So for DFS, mm-hmm. you use Z-score, ROI, and that ROI, of course, return on investment. So what is the importance of Z-score and return on investment when you're doing your DFS rank? So starting with the return on investment, it, you got to be able to have success. And I don't, I don't recommend playing DFS for everybody because there's people who get addicted to it and want to continue to put in money and kind of ruin things. I, I save up starting now for it. And like, you know, most people go $3 contest. Oh, first place, hundred K only play this one $3 contest where you could enter 150 lineups, but I'm only going to enter like two. I'm going to play $6 because that's what I'm going to do. And personally, why not, instead of spending that $3, $6, why don't you save a little bit to play the $12 single entry, which gives you a way higher chance to return and you're competing at an even field. Those contests that say $20 first place is a million, you're going to be competing with about, I would say, 50 people, maybe even more. I haven't done the exact numbers on this, with 150 lineups. Give me the guy throwing 150 darts, then you just sitting there trying to throw your $20 dart for the million. And return on investment, like I've had good success in it. I started, my first lineup was a $2 lineup that hit for 4K. 
I was able to come in second out of 104,000 people. So me specifically, I've been able to learn a lot about bankroll management. And it was rough when I first started. I was 18 years old and saw money that I'd never had before. I was like, this is fun. I like, I like having this. And over time, like this year, I'm probably going to deposit about probably 3,500 to five grand into my DFS account. Mm-hmm. And weekly, I'll probably play $400 worth of lineups just because I know I want to play the $100 single entry, the three entry $150 max tournament. But if I were getting started back when, you know, I don't have that kind of bankroll, the $12 single entry, the $50 single entry, staying into lower contest is where you should start. And with Z score, when I'm doing my projections, I want the best value at the positions they are separated positionally and it's like you got to find the week where you want to play Mahomes where you want to play Travis Kelsey where you want to play Derrick Henry and who to play on the certain week and the way I do that is through z-score for example the Darren Waller week versus the Jets his z-score that week because Kelsey wasn't on slate it was like Darren Waller at 6k and then like Evan Ingram at 4500 and Hunter Henry and that group of tight ends that we kept picking even though they just never did anything spectacular and um i played darren warren 100 of my lineups because his z score was like 4.2 that week and because my projection model projected him for 23 points against the jets because i felt like that was what i i kind of multiplied different things and put together some different projections and uh because tight ends that year killed the jets and I yeah. was able to get on to Darren Waller because his E-score is so high. So instead of playing, I think Derrick Henry was playing the Browns that week. And Henry versus Chubb was the biggest, like, everybody's going to play these running backs. I was like, let me take my money and spend it on tight end. And in my contest, which are the bigger, it was at the time the bigger entry fee, 9% ownership. In a contest that had 2,000, 3,000 people that are supposed to know exactly what they're, I mean, you think like, oh, they're playing these big money contests. They know what they're doing. But Darren Waller against the Jets, 9% ownership didn't make sense, especially with no Travis Kelsey on the slate. And I'm thinking like, what are we what are we doing here? But pretty much Z-score is just weighing out. Am I going to play Darren Waller this week? Derrick Henry, um, Devontae Adams. And that's the main reason, the main thing I use it for. Okay, so you're you're looking at what which contest can I enter where I'm going to be as likely to have an even playing field. So like yes. if it's a single entry contest, everyone's guaranteed to only have one entry. If it's like a 150 plus entry contest, like the guys with the bigger bankrolls, they'll just buy up 150 spots and you're going to go like, well, I got my $2 voucher from DraftKings, So <laughs> I'm going to use that. And it's as much. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. Um, so do you have any differences in how you approach different platforms like a FanDuel, DraftKings, et cetera? Or are you mostly just worried on maybe some scoring differences? Um, well, the, yeah, the, the scoring difference is the main thing. But also it's like it's uh, with DraftKings. And I mean, DraftKings offers like the bonuses, which is part of their difference in scoring. And okay. like those guys that you could just see getting that 70-yard touchdown should be weighted higher. So like I continuously played um McCole Hardman when I you know probably shouldn't have but when McCole Hardman was playing the Jets and I was like Pat Mahomes McCole Harden but then on the flip side of things I'm like oh if he doesn't do it then Demarcus Robinson can't like those types of guys are more 
are better on uh, DraftKings and on FanDuel, it's all about the touchdowns. You're playing uh-huh. half point. Half point is heavy into touchdowns. And, I mean, you got to think it. One touchdowns in half point is worth twelve catches. So, like, give me the receiver who's scoring a touchdown. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Um, so, okay, so we've I think touched on a lot of this for the most part. I just want to see: is there any other tips that you have for constructing your ideal DFS lineup when you go into a given week? So, one, tell a story when you're when you don't ever play. Your quarterback versus the defense. Don't don't stack your lineup that way. Think about it as a okay. I'm watching the game. This is what's going on. If you have the idea that like for example, say the the Broncos Saints game, mm-hmm. that game I stayed away from for DFS, and a lot of people kept picking the Saints defense, and I was like, I I could see them doing a lot, but I could also see the Broncos playing Philip Lindsay at quarterback and just running a read option, and like you're not getting sacks, you're just getting tackles and that doesn't help you from a fantasy point so just just always tell a story you can i like to pick two players from the same game on different teams so like Devonte adams dalvin cook because i could see okay. both of them feeding off each other in a way same like concept for most of those games usually when one guy's going bonkers the other guy is i think dalvin cook the week that camara went for the six or seven touchdowns dalvin cook also had like a 27, 30 point game in fantasy. It's just yeah. so overlooked because Kamara is 60 points. Okay. Well, we'll get a little back into DFS mm-hmm. again. It's great having an expert like you here to talk about that. Appreciate but the other it. thing you said you dabble in is the film study. So what are you looking for when you do your film study and how so, do you weigh that film study when you do your rankings? So when I'm watching film, I look at a lot of different, um, opinions of experts uh brad kelly 17 i believe he's on youtube his wide receiver stuff is unbelievable because he's a wide receiver coach i'm not a wide receiver coach i i like to look for things that i think are great for wide receivers but one learn from who can teach you and who there's a lot of people in this community that talk when they do these film breakdowns and that helps and i've learned a lot or learned enough to go ahead and be like okay one competition that's a huge thing for me. Who is guarding Devontae Smith? Who is guarding Jalen Waddle? Don't just watch film and be like, wow, this is a bunch of highlight plays. This guy's really good. Because that can fool you. That Who can is really, Zach really Wilson cool. playing against, perhaps? See, quarterbacks are a little <laughs> tricky, but um, <laughs> receivers are fun because like Jalen, or not Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith got to play against J.C. Horn. Okay. And he beat him like a drum. And J.C. Horn is a great corner. He He has all the intangibles, and he's bigger, stronger, faster than Devontae Smith. But Devontae Smith was working him like he was a high school corner. (laughs) So you're saying there's a chance BMI doesn't matter as much? Yeah. And the other Mm -hmm. analytical uh, stat I'll say that I don't like as much is College Dominator. College Dominator is very – it's frustrating to me because they – it's like the people who use it heavy – use it for as this is the end all be all statistic and like for a guy like one of my favorite players is Jalen waddle you can you can't you can't use it for him because people say oh his um college dominator is really low his breakout age was very young but he never had a college dominator after and it's like the dude was on pace to have a jamar or jamar chase type season this past year 
And then yeah, I would agree. Got hurt, granted. And Devontae Smith was the wide receiver too at Alabama for those weeks. Like I'm an Alabama fan. I watched the games. You had the game plan for Jalen yeah. Waddle. <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm really big on Jalen Waddle myself for the exact same reasons. My girlfriend went to Alabama, so I watch all the Alabama games because she wants to watch all the Alabama <laughs> games. So I like Bama well enough. Growing up in Maryland, not exactly football country. Um, even though crab cakes and football is what Maryland does, somehow the two things are both equally valid. But um, definitely a basketball school. And so, like, yeah, Jalen Waddle was the wide receiver one on that team, and I didn't feel like it was cl- – you could tell. You could tell from the second they lined up. It was like mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle is the one who is drawing everyone in like a black hole mm-hmm. from an attention standpoint. Yeah. And the second he got injured, then it was Devonta Smith's season to lose. Yeah, And he took yeah. off. And he, <laughs> that shouldn't be discounted. Like it should not be discounted no. that he produced a Heisman season out yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, it's the NFL is going towards get the ball in space to athletes that can break tackles and the the route runners are always going to be there for the good gain, but like everybody's getting enamored with the Debo Samuel, AJ Brown style or Brandon Ayuk also fits in that class. And that style of receiver is corners are learning how to cover people, but they're not learning how to uh take they're not learning how to tackle. <laughs> like if you can break tackles, you're gonna kill secondaries. It doesn't hurt when you can hurdle people either in the case of Ayuk. <laughs> yes, that's Something like I am like never. Oh, it's just so beautiful. Uh, Dave, actually, um, while we have you here, what about you? Do you dabble in the film study at all? I I don't think that I'm taking it to the level that, <laughs> that Jordan is. But <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I, I enjoy watching film. And I think that what you said was really good advice about learn from the people that can teach you. You know, I do like to hear coaches and stuff talking about what they're seeing in film. And uh, on the NFL Network, I can't remember the name of the show, but it's the one where, like, they'll sit down with players and break down film. Mm-hmm. I, I find that kind of stuff really interesting to watch, you know, and just hear the player talking about what they were seeing, or, you know, what's going on in this specific situation. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah. that's really, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I I feel like I learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it teaches you a ton. And uh, for me, like I also, when I was at UCF, when I attended the school, I worked in the recruiting program. So I cut up film every single day. The starting quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, I cut him his film up. Gabe Davis, I got to see quite often. So fun fact, in my I dynasty leagues, he went in the second round because there's no such thing as a sleeper when I got to know people. It's, it's, it, it's crazy that... Um, I mean, that taught me a lot. Brandon Lawson was the player personnel director at the time, and he taught me a ton of what to look for. Awesome. Well, is there anyone actually, I think you touched on a little with Waddle, but um, anyone whose film really jumped out to you? Elijah Moore. Um, I've cut up more receivers. I'm not big on this running back class. And I'm also really, this class as a whole, like Chase, Pitts, like the Bama, Bama players, you know, ETN, I don't, it's just very disappointing. Like, like, like the weights, the heights, like everything's kind of just like making me like, all right, like I hype this class up in my head to be kind of similar to 2020. And I'm like backtracking. I'm like, okay, where would I rank? Like, for example, Javante Williams in last year's class. And I'm thinking to myself and I'm like, RB eight, 
behind probably into or equivalent to like Antonio Gibson. And I'm well, like, yeah, I'm like I'm thinking about so you wouldn't take him ahead of Jonathan Taylor, no, or Ceh, nope, or J.K. Dobbins, or Cam Akers, or Antonio Gibson, or DeAndre Swift. So seven, 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 and like honestly, it depends on how you count James Robinson, who yeah. is an undrafted rookie. Yeah. So yeah, RB eight. You're like right about there. It's and then that's if you had him as your RB one in this class. That's not even taking into account like someone like Najee Harris or Travis Etienne. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that like I don't know. Um, I like this rookie class. They're just very skinny or very short. It's like it's bugging me. It's really bugging me. Like, I think I like the tops of the position groups. Yes. I like Jamar Chase a lot. Mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts, if he disappoints me, I will be stunned because yeah. he looks phenomenal. Oh, he's I, think, feels safe. <laughs> I think that there are likely to be three three quarterbacks from this class of the top five who are going to hit. And I think the top two, in my opinion, of Lawrence and Fields are locks. Barring going into a terrible situation. Like, you know, there's always like the example of like Jason Campbell or Patrick Ramsey going to the Washington football team. And guess what? And we saw it kind of this year with Joe Burrow. And we've seen it in the past with Sam Darnold. If you have zero offensive line, there is no amount of good. You can be your toast. It's yeah. just like Joe Burrow literally lost his knee to it. Yeah. And it's and another thing that it's kind of, I was talking to my brother literally just today about this is let's give it four years for a class. Let's not yeah, jump narratives because think about Baker Mayfield's class. Year one, Josh Allen inaccurate, can't do it. Lamar Jackson could only run, can't pass the ball. Baker Mayfield, God. Sam Darnold, eh, we'll see. Maybe. Josh Allen He's or great Josh Rosen. Nine out of every 10 throws, <laughs> and the other one's an interception. That's yeah. Sam Darnold. And then the next year, Lamar Jackson leads the league in passing touchdowns, MVP. Josh Allen still overthrowing people, but Duke Williams, he made him a thing in the playoff game that he played with the Watson. And then you had um, Baker Mayfield fell off a cliff <laughs> and they even got Odell Beckham. So you're like, what just happened? Um, Josh Rosen out of the league, Sam Darnold, still bad. This year, Josh Allen, world beer, accurate as can be. Baker Mayfield, great game manager, winning football games now. Lamar Jackson, up and down season, figured it out, won a playoff game, but still people don't give him that respect. And it's like, it's going to change year to year. Tua, Herbert, this past class, Burrow, it's going to fluctuate. Like, don't be sold on any narrative until year four for me is when it goes on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, don't call me Ross from Friends because I'm going to pivot right here. Let's just go Go forward to the group stuff. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the Browns, I want to hear, Dave, you first, especially with your familiarity with that division, then Jordan. That team is better without Odell Beckham, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, he feels like a giant distraction at this point to me. Uh, He's really not, I don't know, he really hasn't contributed nearly what they anticipated they were getting on the field, obviously. Uh, I just feel like they, they have a good thing going you know, without him on the field, Landry is, is pretty reliable, but they even got a lot of work out of Higgins and amongst others, you know, so. The people's Jones is there. Yeah. He's waiting in the wings. (laughs) He can smell what the rock is cooking. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) 
but yeah, I, I, for me, this is not to say that I think Odell Beckham Jr. is a bad football player or a bad wide receiver or no. anything of that nature. There is something that does not work with that team. It is not a good chemistry fit, in my opinion. Jordan, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. You seem to be largely in agreement with us. See, I think Odell's on the – I mean, it's. It, I don't know if you'll end up having this type of caliber thing, but I think he's on the Randy Moss route where he starts on the team, he performs really well, attitude, everything. Goes to the Raiders, which is what Randy did. Odell went to the Browns. Yeah. And – I said it to I said it to my uh, Jeff, who's the owner of Gridiron Ratings, and I was like, "What if What if the Browns cut him, and because they can save fourteen or fifteen mil by doing so, it goes to the Chiefs. The Chiefs were trying to sign Juju. They were trying to sign the bigger receivers. If you just put him on the Chiefs, like through the roof, one value, everybody's going to be jumping to he's the wide receiver one next year, but." One, to revitalize his career and fix those character issues because Andy Reid is very, very well known with helping athletes. And some of them obviously can't fix them all, but he's always been the guy that second chances and very prevalent on trying to have an impact in that regard. Chief, Chiefs would be interesting. Um, I think the one Tyree Kill. <laughs> I, I, so I think the one issue there would be Tyree Kill. You know, yeah. I wonder like, if Tyree Kill and Odell are going to work together, then why couldn't Odell and Jarvis Landry work together? I mean, I they're not like like for like, but I think there's a lot more similarities than differences. I think it's also the coaching philosophy. Stefanski didn't sure. even give Diggs and 100 targets when he was in Minnesota, which is thinking now what we look at Diggs, we're like, eh, what's going on? Why didn't we give him 100 targets? <laughs> I mean, they were getting to playoff games. I think that's why. Yeah. Like, Agreed. That offense works, even if it's not like the most fancy dominant, but, and even then Diggs was still fancy relevant. I do. I, yeah, there's just, there's something off there. Agreed. And it's weird because Odell should be good enough. Like we always in sports in general, I think like in the NBA, you get it a lot, especially as these teams like bring more and more stars onto a team. Like people go like, Oh, how is, James Harden going to play with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. <laughs> and it's like, well, the answer is they're all really fucking good. And so they're going to figure it out because they're all really fucking good. And like, you kind of feel like it should be the same thing with Odell and Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski, who I think is a really fucking good coach. Yeah. And it's like, there's a lot of really fucking good people on this team. <laughs> Why can't they all be really fucking good? But they're just not that team. Mm -hmm played better when their top wide receiver was on the bench and it is weird yeah all right well let's get into some other stuff dfs darlings i talked about this on my last episode uh with the true north guys because nate williams he's a dfs guy as well and he said it's like a little too early because of how the algorithms are going to work you're not sure what player values are going to be etc cetera, etc cetera. but are there any guys and dave i'll start with you I'm not sure what your DFS uh, history is like, but are there any guys um, that you're like, I think this guy will be a value in DFS. Maybe like a Corey Davis, I feel like could have been from time to time last year. Someone that's not going to cost you a ton of money, but could have a good game. Uh, so Dave, anyone that comes to mind, especially since yeah. you might give a different perspective than Jordan. 
I mean, that's yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. Unfortunately, I live in Idaho, so I can't play DFS for actual money anyway. So I hardly Ooh. ever do. But uh, can you play for potatoes? I, I think so. Yeah, famous okay. ones, famous okay. ones. Uh, but no, actually, the kind of guys that I like. I mean, I feel like I don't know a lot about building a DFS lineup, but the kind of guys that I like are quarterbacks that you know just they just have the right situation on any given week. You know, uh, I got burned a little bit on stuff like this. Like when Mitch Trubisky played the Falcons last year, you know, I was like, Mitch Trubisky, dude, play the Falcons. Everybody's lighting up the Falcons. Right. So let's just, let's, let's lean on him here. Uh, and that didn't work. So I guess I don't really have a specific name in, in mind, but that's something that I do in, in, when I do try and build DFS lineups is kind of try and find my value at quarterback more often than any of the other positions. I like the answer though. It's a good answer. It adds value to the conversation. I'm taking it. I'm giving you the points there. Uh, <laughs> there are no points. So do with that what you will, but Jordan, uh, I want to hear what you got to say on that front. So it is definitely a little too early because we don't know the pricing, but you gotta, you gotta take it for what year is it? Like what kind of year are we going to anticipate next year where this past year, like my idea for tight end was Kittle Waller or Jordan Akins, because I don't care about Evan Ingram. I don't care. I'm going to punt tight end. It's apparently you didn't care about Darren Fells either. Cause you're willing to take nope. a chance on Jordan Akins. <laughs> UCF, UCF <laughs> proud there. UCF homerism. But um, I, I'll say as a Carolina Panthers fan, I think David Moore is going to be a fun one for fantasy because I think he's going to have huge touchdown volume. He's our biggest red zone threat. And with Russ, he was, he caught touchdowns. It's pretty much what he did. He would just take your DK Metcalf touchdown away. And for our team with Joe Brady, Joe Brady is very prevalent on three wide receiver sets. And if you think of Moore, and Robbie Anderson and what David Moore brings to it, David Moore is the biggest target. And I think for a red zone standpoint, and he's going to be th minimum pricing. Let's, let's be real. He's not going to be more than 3K. If he can get anything of what Curtis Samuel's targets were, you're getting a great value. And is your opinion going to change once they draft Kyle Pitts? Yes. 100%. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> but I just think to... Kyle Pitts is going four, though. I'll say that. Ooh. To Atlanta. You think Atlanta is going to take yes. him four? All I right. I think Atlanta thinks Matt Ryan's got through two to three years and throw him in that offense. And one, you're getting a blue chip. And two, it's that, I mean, how do you stop it? Yeah, I think that they also <laughs> think they have two to three years from Matt Ryan, so they're going to trade down. Yeah, that's fair. that. That's what I think. Um, I like, I like, I like the shot. I like the shot call. Um, yeah. Just to confirm, though, you said David Moore, not dj Moore, david Moore, yeah, yes yeah. um <laughs> i think that will be interesting i mean we definitely did see that offense can contribute three wide receiver twos last year it yep. did that um i don't think david Moore's curtis samuel would be my one yep. concern though i like the size um and he did have some relevance at times in seattle i you know i like it i like i like the call i think he will certainly be a value if mm -hmm. nothing else you know? yeah Fun play for fun touchdown upside. <laughs> and if you are looking for a value wide receiver, I'd say even a redraft, someone to consider in the later rounds potentially. Because you'll get him way cheaper than you probably got Curtis Samuel last year. Yeah. And if he can produce close to Curtis Samuel numbers, 
not that they'll necessarily have the same role, but like, you know, then that's a steal. Um, speaking of some redraft values, we'll just get right into that. Dave, who are some players that you think will have serious value in redraft leagues in 2021? And who are some players you're avoiding completely? Well, I don't like to avoid anybody completely because I feel like everybody's, you know, everybody's worth it at some point in the draft, you know, just based on where you can get them. So I, I don't like to write anyone off completely. So you're expecting a, that Keyshawn Vaughn breakout year as well. <laughs> oh, do we get uh, points for special teams tackles in this league? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, <laughs> no, let's see. Uh, you know, another, an, another one of my redraft strategies that I sort of talked about was uh, getting your quarterback late. And okay. so I always try and target a specific quarterback. And like I told you a couple of years ago, I had Lamar Jackson this past year. Josh Allen was my redraft target in most leagues, which paid off really, really well. Two for two on that one. So I'm always kind of trying to sniff those guys out. Uh, somebody that you don't have to draft as one of the first quarterbacks overall, but but will de- but hopefully will deliver dividends like one of the first quarterbacks overall. Um And I think that Trevor Lawrence is who I'm going with right now this year. I'm excited about just the idea of him in Jacksonville. I like that they brought in Marvin Jones. I feel like they've got a lot of weapons for him and you know, they're going to throw the ball a lot. So I think, you know, even, even being a rookie in the NFL, I I think I'm going to put a lot of stock into Trevor Lawrence at quarterback and redraft this year. Um, You know, things could change. It's still only the first day of April. But yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm leaning. That's where I'm leaning on my quarterback. I always, like I say, I like to have one. I like to have a target that that I feel like I can get at the right value. And I think it's, I think that's the guy. I think it's yeah. T Law. I mean, we normally talk about a second year breakout rather than a first year breakout when it comes to fantasy QB, as we saw with Mahomes, as we saw with Lamar, as we saw with I think Carson Wentz uh, right. before them. But last year we saw Herbert. And I think you could be totally onto something there with Trevor Lawrence. I think you could probably get him not quite at a similar range as Herbert because Herbert wasn't even the starter. Lawrence will obviously be the starter. Right. But like Kyler Murray, his rookie year, I think you could get Trevor Lawrence in a similar range to that. That was still later rounds. And I did exactly that. I, I believed in Kyler Murray. I believed in Kyler Murray his rookie year so much that I made a bet that he would outperform a certain Lamar Jackson and while I was right about Kyler, I was wrong about Lamar. So it didn't go well. <laughs> um, well, I also like what Lawrence brings with his feet. You know, people don't really yeah. talk about his his running ability. Uh, and I mean, he's not, you know, going to run it like Kyler Murray does or whatever. But I feel like there's definitely going to be touchdowns to be gained uh, yeah. on the ground for him. So I think that's going to help his fantasy value a lot obviously because when quarterbacks run in touchdowns that that adds okay. up fast i like it i like it a lot uh jordan redraft value who's someone you're targeting already um there's two there's two wide receivers that i think are just falling way too far that just don't make to me it doesn't make sense it's uh chris godwin and michael thomas i see yeah. they're they're just going like i i understand people are worried about Taysom hill and Jameis, but 
doesn't matter for Michael Thomas when he's fully healthy. Like Sean Payton just knows how to get that guy the ball. I mean, when Teddy Bridgewater took over and like we saw what Teddy Bridgewater was with Carolina, we're screaming DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are getting held back by Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. But Michael Thomas, when Teddy Bridgewater took over, it was like, all right, well, 13 catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. doesn't matter. And for Chris Godwin, it's like we, we put him ahead of Mike Evans. He just had a wide receiver, top five wide receiver here two years ago. Last year he was injured, but in the games he played, he performed at a high level. And Antonio Brown doesn't seem to be coming back to Tampa because of, I believe, the money is just nowhere near in the same ballpark that he wants. Hmm. And, like, I think you just guaranteed him to be the dominant slot, and it's for Tom Brady. <laughs> They're going to want to win games. They're going to have to score more points. I like it. They're definitely a little more expensive a draft pick, but still a value. If you're getting it at an ADP lower than what you're expecting the return to be. So I do like those. I think you are onto something there. I'll be curious to see what happens with Brown. I think it's still not impossible uh, that he signs in Tampa, given Tom Brady's his landlord at the moment. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's a weird one. uh, I like, I like the, I like the Michael Thomas choice for sure. And then Godwin certainly, Godwin certainly has the talent. Yeah. Um, well, let's transition a little then into dynasty. Who are some dynasty sleepers that you guys are looking at? Again, Dave, I'll start with you. Who are the guys you're targeting in the later rounds? In the later rounds in dynasty right now, uh, I, I, I just can't get away from some of these rookie picks. You know, there are certain guys that I'm, that I'm, uh, pretty high on so i mean if you're doing like a startup full startup where you include the rookies uh i think i think that people are way too down on rondell moore for his size i think that that guy is gonna gonna be something you know something to reckon with i feel like he can be used in very much a similar role as tyreek hill i'm not gonna be the guy that says this is the next tyreek hill because that's a pretty canned response but i feel like you know, he has the right skills to be deployed in that way where you, you, you could see him getting a lot of these just giant touchdown catches, you know, the, the 40 plus and 60 plus, you know, in some cases for, for guys like Tyreek Hill. But so he's somebody that I'm, that I'm excited about. Um, another guy that I'm, that I'm going after in, uh, I'm trying to get my hands on as much as possible is Michael Gallup because I feel like there's a change of scenery coming for this dude in the near future. You know, I don't feel like he's going to be a long stay in Dallas. I totally wouldn't fall off my chair if they trade him on draft day. Mm-hmm. If he's part of a trade to, uh, you know, switch around their draft position, but I don't think he's in the long haul in Dallas. And I feel like he's got a lot of talent, so he's going to have to wind up somewhere that's going to bump his fantasy value up considerably. Yeah, I mean, and maybe I'm a little triggered there, but I, I, after this past season, I'm not sure if Gallup's that different from MVS. Like, <laughs> I, it, his, his hands were awful, and like, I know that maybe the more advanced metrics make it look like the quality of target was maybe worse. He dropped some stuff he should have caught. I watched the games, I saw it. I had Gallup like everywhere I could get him last year, and it's just like I traded him away in the league that I had, like I couldn't, I couldn't be happier to get rid of him. 
I think a change of scenery could potentially be good for him, but I don't know. I I I I am I am a little worried about the talent, which I am surprised to be saying, but it's the truth. Yeah. That's fair. Jordan, what about you? Late round dynasty sleeper. Who are you targeting? Who's your dart throw? Um, there's a there's a few guys that I kind of like very disappointing early on that people have just like, all right, well, they're not relevant. They're rookie year or whatever. We're getting rid of them. Um <laughs> Denzel Mims and Van Jefferson for me. Uh Van Jefferson's a guy that I'm looking at and I'm like, there's a trend where um people like Van Jefferson was drafted as a big slot and he's fits what Cooper Cup's always done. And Cooper Cup always gets hurt. People don't really see that. <laughs> and with Matt Stafford there, I think Van Jefferson's the most athletic receiver that they have. And him being the most athletic is going to help with Matt Stafford. And it's just a completely new feel to the offense. And I think Van Jefferson will benefit tremendously from that. Denzel Mims with New York Jets and having new quarterback, new system, healthy. <laughs> he missed four to five weeks because of a hamstring and then got put into an Adam Gase offense. Like, <laughs> what, what, are, what are we like? Let's, let's, let's do that. And then Paris Campbell. Um, I think he'll play that Nelson Aguilar role for what Wentz was great at. And he first week, the first game, he had like 17 points. And then that tragic injury against the Jaguar or the Vikings the next week. And it's like, he finally performed. He finally was healthy. We got to see it and taken away from us. If he can have a healthy season, I think he's on that Curtis Samuel type of role where a route in like his dynasty value where we value Curtis Samuel way up here now after his first two years were awful. <laughs> As a Panthers fan, they were just never healthy. And when he did, he performed. But then we would just be like, what is he? We have McCaffrey. We don't need this guy. <laughs> so you're, you're telling me you're not worried about T.Y. Hilton then? No. Not at all. I like T.Y. Hilton's there. <laughs> and I like Deshaun Jackson, too, for the Rams. <laughs> I'm not I'm not worried about those. I mean, they're they're old and they're I mean, dynasty wise, it's they'll I think Van Jefferson is he was one of my favorite rookies. And then he broke his foot and that really hurt me. But he still got the capital. They drafted him in the second round. They're not drafting him to not use him. I, I wonder if they know that they're going to trade Jared Goff, do they re-sign Cooper Cup? Because I didn't get the Cooper Cup re-signing, unless yeah. it's because he was Goff's favorite target. No, yeah, I agree. Like I thought that was why they had drafted Van Jefferson. They agree. Like they do the same thing. Yeah. And like I really like Cooper Cup, but you can get Van Jefferson to do very similar things for a lot less money. And like I think now with Matthew Stafford, it's like man, I think if they had to do that over again, it wouldn't be anything personal against Cooper Cup, but I can't imagine they shell out that money. Um, all right. Well, we've covered a lot. I want to just hit one more, one more time on the rookies. Dave, is there anyone, whether it's for redraft for dynasty rookie, we haven't mentioned yet that you think like people's have got to know about. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like Ramondre Stevenson. I, I've been on this Here for we a while. Go. Uh, he is, to me, he's sort of, I hate comparing people. I hate doing comps, but it's the best way to like explain what you're talking about. I think sometimes it he is tough to compare me, people without comparing people. I do. He reminds that. me a little <laughs> bit of, of what Jerome, Be- Jerome Bettis can do 
which is why I would love to see him in Pittsburgh because I feel like he could definitely handle a lot of short yardage and goal line situations a lot better than anybody that the Steelers have on their team right now. They were using Benny Snell to do a lot of that last year, and it's not it's it's not his strength, you know. I mean, that's not what Benny's best at. And so I'm, I think I'm telling that, all y'all, it's a barrage barrage. Just you wait. Just I you think wait. Whether he ends up in Pittsburgh or not, I think Ramondre Stevenson's got a lot of touchdown potential, and you know nobody's nobody's really on him too much. So I feel like you can get him. You know, he's very attainable. Yeah, I actually, I when you guys were talking about uh, him in the group chat that we had, uh, I had to look him up, and then I read your article, and I'm now aware. My eyes have been opened, and I, I am intrigued. I am very intrigued. I think that's an excellent call out, and one you weren't necessarily going to get a lot of places, because again, like I listened to some of the more mainstream fancy content. I see some of the even less mainstream content come across my Twitter feed. And like, this is the first time I'm really hearing the Stevenson talk. So I'm really happy you touched on that. Jordan, what about you? A rookie that we have not touched on yet, whether it's redraft dynasty DFS, someone you think is really good for a poker night. Who you got? (laughs) Dwayne Eskridge. Dwayne Eskridge from Michigan was one of my favorite players to play in DFS because I play college DFS. Okay. Mac Nation or Maction, favorite time of the year. Um, Dwayne Eskridge, fun fact, he played corner last year. He started their year, started as a wide receiver at Western Michigan, led them in receiving. And I think the next year he either got hurt or whatever. And the third year, they're like, Hey, we need corners. Can you do that? And he's like, All right, cool. Let me go play corner. And then came back and then led them in receiving again. It's like the dude's an absolute athlete, and I'm I mean, he didn't disappoint me with his height and weight. I knew, I knew he was five nine, and he didn't lie to me. All right, Rondale, <laughs> lied to me. <laughs> I knew Rondale was small, but God, five seven. Real. I mean, he's a slot. That's cool. That's where I had him, anyways. But five seven, just dude, come on. Well, some... didn't didn't Bateman lose a couple inches and about twenty pounds? Bateman's. It's funny because like everybody's yeah, so weird. worried about Devonte Smith and Bateman. I know he's heavier, but like. That, that scares me. There's a lot of scary weights and heights in this class. It's messed up. It's almost <laughs> as if we shouldn't be overly worried about them and instead look at what we're seeing on yeah. the tape. And like, oh, yeah. You can tell when some of these guys are really talented. Oh, yeah. Um, I agree. But, yeah, I miss I miss the Mac. I went to Temple when we were in the Mac. Oh, so, that rule. Uh, Love that. Yeah, so Matt Rule was the guy after my time there i was there for the al golden years that's fun you guys are good yeah well so it was crazy because like i had all these alumni from my fraternity coming up it's like you guys are lucky the football team sucked while we were there (laughs) (laughs) it's like sure enough my first temple football game we lose to villanova it's like a fbs school (laughs) just right out the gate because our kicker was trash we lost on a freaking field goal that's so funny. Uh, but we we made some bowl games. I got to watch Temple in a bowl game, something that was not on my to-do list when I signed up to go to Temple. It was not what I was expecting. Um, of course, they didn't win, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, guys, it has been a blast. We have hit our hour-ish and then some, but I would not change a second of it for the world. Dave, 
Thank you so much for coming on. Tell the good people where they can find your work, your Steelers stuff, your fantasy stuff, all the stuffs. Plug your stuff. Of course. Well, you'll be able to find my fantasy work at contenderconnection.com. And then I am doing both fantasy and NFL stuff. So you will be able to find my Steelers stuff at profootballmania.com. And uh, I might have some other things in the works here coming up. So uh, follow me at Dave Fantasy on Twitter and you will be the first to hear about those kind of things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jordan, again, thank you so much for coming on. I've loved having some DFS guys on because it is something I really don't know much about. <laughs> um, you know, it is always amazing to have an expert like Dave come on and school me on things like redraft, where I <laughs> hope to be a bit better uh, and more knowledgeable. But seriously, like the DFS stuff, the Z score stuff, I've really loved it. So why don't you go plug your stuff? So you guys can find me on Twitter at Jordan Vanek one, and I do write for Gridiron Ratings. But going towards what's you know popular right now, the NFL draft, I have a contest that uh, it's for charity and also some prize pool fun. It's uh, basically a ten dollar buy-in, and I have this whole spreadsheet where it's you're just basically trying to guess who's going where. You can do trades in it whatever fill up the spreadsheet send it back to me half of it's going to the charity half of it will be some sort of prize pool we'll see how many people get interested in it awesome well yeah i mean it sounds like a great thing mock drafting isn't like my strongest suit which has really been the reason i've been hesitant to give it a give it a go but go, go I, may, I, may have, I may have to do it i may have to do it yeah <laughs> you've got me intrigued you've got you oh, and it's for charity how can i yeah. say no charity and hey man uh if you ever want somewhere to write some stuff maybe some intro to dfs stuff <laughs> you know the lateral always has some extra bandwidth some extra <laughs> some extra tech space we can uh send your way uh and honestly you know dave you're contributing in your own spaces i would certainly never take you away from that but if you ever have something side, something sideways you want to send our way you're more than welcome to do that yourself <laughs> i am of course mclateral i am um unplugged here so we're gonna we're gonna see how that goes uh you can find me on twitter at mclateral ff you can find me at our blog which is the lateral which is www.thelateralff.com you can also find us on youtube the show is on YouTube. It is on Spotify. All our shows are going to be on YouTube and Spotify going forward, at least the ones where we do the live streams like this, the video content like this. Uh, we'll have some stuff that maybe gets tailored just to YouTube, just to Spotify in the future. But for now, you can find us on both. So like and subscribe. If you're a little weird, I guess you can just subscribe and not tell us that you like the video. A little rude, but whatever. Um I should have some stuff coming out later this week. Again, that perfect draft series that I teased, I believe one of the episode, uh, one of the parts of that series episodes uh, is going to drop over the course of the next couple of days. So stay tuned for that. I think uh, our writer Zach is going to have something drop, but there might be someone who's a little better skilled to talk about what else the lateral has oh, going on you, you mean me? possibly give me a chance to <laughs> plug my headphones back in so uh instead of vamping i'm gonna cut it to herms who has popped up on the screen 
that's me. I'm Herms. It's me. Look at me. Hi. You can follow me on Twitter at HermsNFL. Uh, wow. This is actually going to be pretty interesting because now that we have fully ingratiated ourselves onto Spotify while also doing these live streams, anybody who listens to this as a podcast tomorrow will be able to know ahead of time that show with no name, episode three with me and Jesse. Uh, we will be going live on Saturday at 4 p.m. We will be looking at um, early redraft ADP and comparing it against uh, current like best ball ADP and rankings and stuff to try and find some discrepancies and look at things that are just like, oh, well, these guys could be really good values or be like, oh, my God, what is wrong with these people? Why are you drafting these people so high? Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's always fun to talk about redraft in April because that's what normal people do. So definitely look out for that show with no name. We're coming out with some more stuff. And, uh, yeah, like McLateral said, I mean, we've got a ton of fun things uh, coming up with the lateral. Uh this show will not be uh, happening next week because we will be gathering as a powwow to be able to discuss certain things and do, oh my God, we have so many plans. It's going to be so fun. Oh my gosh. Tell your friends, tell your mother, tell your dog or a cat or a fish, whatever pet you have. If you have a bird, I don't know. Maybe, actually, if you have a parrot, definitely tell that parrot because that parrot will be able to tell other people because that's what parrots do. So like that would be super sick. But uh, anyway, as he said, uh, like, subscribe. Whatever the thing is that you do on Spotify, I want to say that's subscribe. Yeah, follow. Follow, actually. Yes. Um, so, you know, any of that, just like, I don't know, pump us up. Tell us that we're great. Tell us if we're bad. You know, get honest and constructive feedback is very important. You could, you know, always at us or you could send us an email at the lateral ff at gmail.com if you really want to. We true. mostly we use it that. for, yeah, we don't really use it for much, but hey, if you want to send us a letter and be like, hey, you suck. Go for it. I would love to read it in the morning while I get ready for work. So, yeah, I guess uh, that's Twitter's best way to get a hold of us, though. We're, you know, we're, yeah, we're usually pretty open on there. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, like with many of your favorite late night shows, uh, I am going to pull a power move and take random hiatuses whenever I feel like it. Uh, so we're going to take a hiatus next week, but that is genuinely so we can make sure that we can figure out exactly what it is we want to do. I think we got the format down, but we want to see what guests we can bring on here. Cause again, this run of guests we've had so far, it has been amazing to see all the just breadth of knowledge that we're able to bring to the people who come to us once a week for about an hour ish. And uh, with that, I think, I think that's the show guys. Yeah, well, I guess yeah. Well, because we don't do we don't do mouth sounds anymore. Because we actually have like really dope intro music that sounds a lot like this. Or outro. It's technically an outro. outro. Yeah, I was yeah. hoping that was going to get cut know. off by yeah. the outro. Words are stupid, but hey, oh. check out this outro. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly variety hour ish with McLateral. Follow him on Twitter at McLateral FF. And until next time.